I love Mr. Rogers. My favorite episode is when he went to the crayon factory and they made crayons. You know, that, that just was such a fun episode to watch. I still remember that. I pulled that up on YouTube or something and showed it to Abby one day. Uh, the land of make-believe, all of that. Mr. Rogers was great. It, the world just seemed a little simpler then, didn't it? And I know that things weren't perfect back in the 80s, you know, far from perfect. We, you know, 70s and the 80s had, had their own issues and problems, but it just seems like the world today is especially hard on families. And, and I know I've only been a parent for almost nine years now, but it just seems to me like parenting today is harder maybe than it's ever been. And the culture and the world around us is certainly at war with traditional biblical values. And sometimes it probably seems it's easier just to give in and not fight and just kind of hunker down and hope for the best. But if ever there was a time for Christian parents to stand their ground, if ever there was a time for married couples to defend marriage by their examples, if there was any time for churches to renew their commitment to families, it's now. It's today. And that's why we as a church have re-emphasized the importance of encouraging and empowering and equipping husbands and wives and moms and dads to make the home the place where faith formation begins and flourishes best. And as Ben mentioned, and I'll mention a few times this morning, our Faith at Home Center is one way. The First Baptist Church seeks to help families navigate those rough waters of our culture's ever-changing values. I mean, just every day, it just seems like the, the values are redefined. And, and we want to help husbands and wives and moms and dads and grandparents and single adults. We want to help you live out your faith beginning at home. And that's why we have adopted a core value that explicitly states the importance of faith beginning at home and for the church to be a countercultural force for helping human relationships, especially families, to flourish. Our sixth core value that we're looking at in this series on getting to the core of who we are as a church is about being a family-affirming church. Read with me what this says. It says that we are family affirming. We are helping families grow strong and helping people find family in Christ. As we consider this value, turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. And in this passage, Nehemiah is describing a moment in Jewish history when families were coming together to fulfill their role of being the spiritual building blocks for the people of God. And let's look together. Chapter 10, verses 28 through 30. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who were able to understand, all these now join their brothers, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. Nehemiah is a great book for us to consider as we are talking about and thinking about revitalizing our church. We've been 
talking about that for, for over a year now. And we're going to continue to focus on that. And Nehemiah is a great book because that's what Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem to do. Remember, he came back to Jerusalem from Babylon to discover that the, 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 the walls of the city were broken down, the gates of the city were busted up, and he went there to try to rebuild those walls and those gates, to revitalize the city of Jerusalem. And together with Ezra the priest, Nehemiah and Ezra sought to not only revitalize in that kind of a physical way, but to revitalize their national identity, to revitalize their political structures, to revitalize their faith and their worship of the Lord God. And this passage in particular gives us a powerful illustration of the need to revitalize our family life. And my prayer for you this morning is that this message would prompt you to commit yourself and your family to revitalizing your approach to faith at home. Because Nehemiah 10 calls us to revitalize our families in three ways. And the first is the joy of a family focus. To revitalize the joy of of a family focus. You know, in a lot of ways, our families today, it's like togetherness has just disappeared. We're so busy. We're so distracted. You know, moms and dads are working extra jobs or working overtime. Kids are, are burdened with homework or they're involved in sports or other extracurricular activities. Families seldom ever have time to sit down together for a meal. And, and, and it's a wonder that, you know, we're so busy. It's a wonder when we do find ourselves at home that we even recognize each other. You know, it's like we're just ships passing in the night. That's what Julia often says, that she and I are just kind of ships passing in the night because we're all so busy. Nehemiah called families together to make a revolutionary commitment to each other and to God. Look back at verse 28. Verse 28 tells us that fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, all the children who were old enough to be able to understand their commitment, they came together as families and as a community. Revitalizing family life was critical then, it's critical now. Cultural pressures today de-emphasize the leadership of fathers. And there are people that are actually arguing that fathers are unnecessary in the home and that, that they're even toxic to children. And we know this isn't true. Statistics consistently show that children raised without a father's presence in their life are far more likely to struggle in school, to suffer with depression, to attempt suicide, to get in trouble with the law, or to turn to drugs or alcohol or violence. That's statistics. It's a fact. Our culture also downplays the nurturing role of mothers. Some argue, just like they do with fathers, that mothers aren't really necessary. They, they try to make the case that so long as you've got a parent in the life of a child, it doesn't really matter what their gender is. And we know again this isn't true. I have a news flash for you. Men and women are different. Men and women are different. They think differently. They parent differently. They discipline differently. They solve problems differently. And the best option for a child is, and this is what God's will is, His best option for children is that they're raised in the home by mom and dad. Now, I understand that we live in a kind of world that isn't perfect and things happen that remove one parent or the other from a child's life. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the truth of God's Word and the truth of what actual statistics and research shows us to be true, that God created mothers and fathers as His best. For children in the home. 
And if those who argue otherwise were being honest and and, and being realistic and looking at the facts on the ground, they would acknowledge that the non-traditional approach to families hasn't worked for our society. The politically correct approach does not produce results that we want. And we see that every day. We look in our schools and we see that. God's ideals are not changed by what society accepts as the status quo. And so as Christians, we should reach for His standard as our goal, not the world's standards as our goal. Amen? But what model are you demonstrating at home? We say amen. We say, yeah, that's right, David, preach it. But what are we demonstrating at home with our families? Is your home a warm and loving place where people support, encourage, and enjoy one another? Is your home a place where arguments are heard more often than laughter? Where, you're, where people occupy the same place but virtually never interact with each other? What kind of home do you have? You know, it's an ongoing debate as to whether television is having a negative influence on society, or whether it's just reflecting the negativity that's already in society. And I would say probably it's a little bit of both, if we were to be honest. And if you assume that a lot of families are like those you see on TV, then the in-laws can't stand anybody and nobody can stand them. Husbands are clueless, immature, overgrown kids. Well, maybe a little, but anyway... Wives are manipulative and critical. That's not true at all. Children are deceptive, at war with each other, and disrespectful to their parents. That that never happens, right? And young adults are, for the most part, unmarried, but freely sharing beds with one another. Now, you see, the reason that stuff is on TV is because there is a, a, a kernel of truth to some of that. But, of course, they exaggerate that, and they play that up for laughs or for drama. And when you watch those shows, sometimes they just make you want to change the channel, don't they? But I suspect it's not the family on the TV that really needs to be changed. It's the family sitting on the couch in the living room. We need to look at our families and evaluate and assess what kind of examples are we setting for children? What kind of models are we demonstrating to the world around us? Maybe you need to revitalize your family, husbands. Maybe you need to plan some date nights with your wife where you don't talk about work and you don't talk about kids and you focus on your bride and you make her feel special. Wives, maybe you need to build up your husbands in the sight of your children and not tear them down with criticism or negativity. Empower him to be the spiritual leader that you need him to be. Moms and dads, carve out some time for your children to get together and play and to talk about what's going on in their lives. Put down the phone. Turn off the television. Listen to their stories without critiquing or correcting. Discover what's going on in their world and celebrate their victories or commiserate with them in their defeats. Maybe we need to revitalize our homes. Teach our children day in and day out what it means to be a godly man or woman. By example, teach them the importance of prayer and God's Word and God's church. Leave an eternal legacy that will change your family tree. And if you do that, then you're going to make certain that you're revitalizing not only the joy of the family focus, but secondly, the strength 
of your family's faith. We need to revitalize the strength of our family's faith. I want you to look back at Nehemiah 10 and take note of the criteria that he gives for those that are included in this vow that Israel took. There are two criteria that emphasize the family's spiritual nature. We see it in two phrases. First is the group to take the oath of commitments was made up of parents and children who are able to understand. Today we might call that the age of accountability. It's that age at which children know the difference between right and wrong and they're able to understand what it means to repent, to turn away from their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The second phrase says all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples. It tells us that the oath wasn't taken by everyone in Jerusalem. It was taken by those who decided to separate themselves from the world. Now, the biblical phrase that we usually use to talk about separating ourselves from the world and being set apart for a special purpose is the word holy. That's what holy means. It means that all Christians are called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We're called out of the kingdoms of this world and into the kingdom of God. Paul instructs us in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, pleasing will. We're not to conform to the world's definitions and ideas of family. We're not to conform to how the world says to treat other people. We must prioritize not the things that the world tells us are important, but we must be transformed into becoming those people who approve what God's will is, the things that matter to the Lord, His priorities. We're to be holy, separated from sin. Set apart for God's purpose. That's what the church is, by the way. The word in the Greek for church in the New Testament is ekklesia. And it means the called out ones. We are those who have been called out from the world, as Peter said, to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. In Jesus' prayer, the night before He was crucified, He prayed this about the church in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 15. He said, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We've kind of summarized what Jesus said here into the phrase, in the world, but not of it. That's what he's talking about, that we are to be in the world, but we're not of the world. The idea is that we have been left in this dark, sin-sick world as salt and light. And if we're salt and light, you know what that means? That means we have to be different. Think about it. Light is the opposite of darkness, right? You can't be light in the darkness if you look like the darkness, can you? You have to be different. The same is true of salt. To be salt that preserves and seasons the goodness in the world around us, we have to be different from the people around us. 
Christian families must be committed to the truth of God's Word, to the fellowship of God's church, because that's part of what separates us from the world around us. That's how our families can be in the world, but not of it. That's how we can shine as light in the darkness and be the grace of God that seasons the goodness of the world around us. Nehemiah repeatedly emphasized that God's Word brought conviction and guidance to God's people. And in the same way, the renewal and refreshing of our faith and our families must be structured around God's unchanging truth. As I said, the world is always moving the goalposts. I mean, it's, every day the values change. But God's Word, God's truth, God's values are unchanging. That's the solid rock we build our lives and our homes on, not the shifting sand of the world. Parents, our church, I want you to know our church seeks to partner with you to help you nurture your child's faith. We want to teach them biblical truth. And I promise you, when they come to Sunday school and they come to teen kids on Wednesday night or tiny kids, that's our preschool program on Wednesday night starting August the 14th, we want to teach them biblical truth. We want to provide opportunities for them to worship and serve God together as a group and with you, their parents. We want to help equip you with parenting tools. And that's what the Faith at Home Center is all about in the atrium. And and you can also find resources on our website. You can find books in our library. We try to offer small group studies, and I try to preach some sermon series. We offer counseling and mentoring. Uh, Lily Moms is a mentoring group that begins in September for mothers of preschoolers. These are some of the things we want to do to help equip you to strengthen the faith and to focus on your family. As I tell parents at every parent-child dedication that, that we do, the spiritual care and discipleship of your children is first and foremost your responsibility. Too many parents for too long have been content to relegate the spiritual raising of their children to the church. And churches have been all too happy to adopt that approach. And after decades of that approach to youth ministry and parenting, we see that it's deeply flawed. The vast majority of young people, when they graduate from high school, graduate from church, and only about half of them ever return. When Dr. Steve Parr spoke back in the spring, you might remember, he outlined the most common factors that contribute to those young people who do stay involved in their faith and plugged into church after high school. For example, kids whose parents served in the church are 50% more likely to stay in church after high school graduation. If they grew up attending worship with their parents, not mom and dad just dropping them off, or not them going to some kind of a separate you know, service-long children's church where they never come in the sanctuary, if they come in and they worship with their parents, they are 37.1% more likely to stay connected to church. And similar statistics point out the importance of family devotions, of praying together, of serving together through the church. Deuteronomy 6 says that it's the job of parents to teach their, children's God, their children God's Word. And they are to do it every day, throughout the day, with every opportunity they have. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. 
Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I've mentioned this formula several times, but I believe it's so true and it's so powerful. I want to share it with you again just very briefly, this biblical pattern for faith formation at home. He talks about when you sit at home. I think about that as meal times. What better opportunity than to gather around the table at least a few times a week to engage in focused discussion with your children and to teach them the core values you want them to live by. He says when you walk along the road. I think about that. We don't do a lot of walking along the road together, you know, do we? But we drive along the road. Think about that time that you're with your child in the car, taking them to school or bringing them home or taking them to a soccer game. What a great opportunity to just help them interpret life. Just giving them some friendly dialogue. When you lie down, obviously that's bedtime. There's no time more precious than to be able to to sit there at the foot of the bed with your child and just pray with them, read a Bible story, talk to them about their day. And then when you get up in the morning, mornings provide that blank page where we can start fresh together. You know, when you give your child breakfast, give them a sign of encouragement. Give them a little bit of coaching to help them as they get ready to face the day. We need to focus on our families. We need to strengthen the faith in our families. And the third way we need to revitalize our families is by passing down our family values. If strengthening the family's faith is important, and it is, then it follows that passing down our family's values, especially our faith, is vital. That's the third implication of the Jewish people's recommitment to the Lord as families and as a nation. And it's not just generic family values to which Ezra and Nehemiah called these Jewish families, but values that were determined long ago in biblical history. Look closely at the implications of verse 30. The families promised, we will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and we will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. The purpose of this promise was to keep family members from going astray by adopting the faiths of people who didn't worship the Lord. This, by the way, had nothing to do with ethnicity. It had everything to do with spirituality. The first of the Ten Commandments says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And so marrying peoples of other faiths or of no faith was a recipe of disaster for this new family of God. It it cast the the chances of covenant faithfulness in the future into a dim light. Godly parents, godly grandparents should work to make certain that the next generation carries on the family's heritage of faith. Passing down the family's faith through parental leadership is difficult when parents don't see eye to eye on who God is or where to find truth. Christian parents need to lead their children to share this value, to seek out believing spouses who will share their values and raise the next generation to follow Jesus. Listen, I pray that every day for my daughter, that God would bring her a man who will love Jesus and want to follow Him with everything in His his life. And we should be praying that for our children. If you read beyond Nehemiah 10, you'll find that the people of God faced a serious problem of intermarrying with these pagan uh, cultures. 
And it's clear that only those who had separated themselves from the world took this vow to make sure that their sons and daughters were marrying people who had similar values. You know, the fact that Christians may decide to be holy and pass along their family values doesn't mean that society goes along with us, does it? You know, lots of times as we study history, we see that Christian values heavily influence the course of a community or they can influence the course of a nation. You can't read the founding documents of this country and not see how Christian values influence the very founding of our country. But in other times, Christians who pledge to be faithful to God's ways find themselves swimming against the flow. And it can make for more difficult living. It can lead to persecution or ridicule or rejection. Oftentimes it means that we face more intense temptation, but the the rewards of remaining faithful to the Lord are beyond description. And this chapter suggests another area where families can pass on their faith and their values, and that's by supporting the family of faith, the people of God. Now, there are two kinds of family in the Bible. There's the natural family ordained by God in the Garden of Eden, a mom, a dad, and their children or a husband and a wife. That's the natural family. But there's a second family, a spiritual family, the church. In our cross-current study this winter, Among Wolves, we talked about the fact that the church isn't just like a family. The church is a family. We are the family of God. That's why whenever I baptize somebody, as I get the the privilege of doing next week, I'm excited about that. Uh, When I baptize somebody, I say, I baptize you my brother. I baptize you my sister. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See, when we become a Christian, the Father adopts us into His family. Jesus Christ becomes our high and holy elder brother. And our fellow Christians are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's that's what's going on here in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 31 through 39. Natural families are committing to support the spiritual family of God's people through public worship and through giving the tithe. And these are some ways that families can pass along essential values. You know, some things are easy to pass down to our children. Our genes, bad habits, you know, emotional tendencies, interests and likes, and what sport team to root for this fall, go balls. Um, some things are easy to pass down to our children. But the really important things, ironically, are hard to pass down. Patrick Henry, you remember Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. He said this at the end of his will. I've now disposed all of my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is the Christian religion. If they had that and I had not given them one shilling, they would be rich. And if they had that and I had given them all the world, they would be poor. What about you? Will Christianity and your family tree die out with your generation? You know, you can't guarantee that your children are going to follow your lead, but it's very likely that if you don't lead them, they won't find the way. How are you leading your children and grandchildren? Are you bringing them up to obey Ephesians 6.4? Are you bringing up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Or are you failing to take seriously your responsibility to provide positive leadership, to show your children the, the way, and to lead them to follow in it? Our church has committed to affirm families, to strengthen families and to be family for people in Christ. And that means we're going to demonstrate that in three ways. 
One, we're going to provide an environment, resources, and programs that strengthen families. We've talked about that already. The, the Faith at Home Center just this week, uh, Ben has put out there a, a resource, a back-to-school prayer guide. You just pick that up. This has got a simple thing, A, B, C, D, E, things to pray for, for the administration, the building, the children, the disciples, the educators. Just a simple prayer guide that you can pick up. If you've not done this or if you've not done it in a while, this is the, uh, the, the assessment, the Faith at Home assessment and 120-day plan. So you kind of do this little survey right here, and it indicates for you some areas in which you need to revitalize your family, and then it gives you some of the resources of the Faith at Home Center that can help you target and work on strengthening your family. Number two, we want to commit to providing ministries to help reach and disciple the next generation. You've already heard this morning about Student Life Camp. And at VBS and at SMAC Camp this summer, we had children profess their faith in Jesus Christ. I get to baptize some of them next week. And we are constantly looking for ways as a church to improve how we're going to reach and disciple that next generation. Your Next Generation Action Team, in fact, has developed a couple of surveys, one for parents of children and one for parents of youth. And you should be getting that in an email it's also going to be available on our church website. I encourage you, take that survey. If, if you're a parent of a teenager, have your youth sitting with you to help you fill out that survey. We want to find out how we can improve how we reach and disciple the next generation. And number three, we commit to unite together in love, encouragement, and support as a spiritual family in Christ. And that's part of one of the reasons why we're going to get together and play games tonight. Because it's important that we love each other that we encourage each other, that we support each other, that we be the kind of family that you hear laughter more often than arguments. Amen? We want to be family for people through Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can become a part of that family is by having God as your Father. And the way you have God as your Father is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only Savior, the only one who can forgive your sins. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Are you a part of the family of God? If not, as we stand and sing in just a moment, I invite you to come down and put your faith and trust in Him. This morning, maybe God is leading you and your family to unite with this family of faith. Let's say this is the church where we want to be nurtured, where we want to grow and be strengthened, where we want to worship with our children and serve the world together. What is God laying on your heart today? As you respond, as the Spirit leads, let's stand, let's pray together, and then let's sing and respond. Father... Thank you for this family of faith. And thank you that it's a church family that values natural families and encouraging and equipping and empowering husbands and wives and moms and dads to begin to nurture that faith at home, to empower and release their children to go into this world as disciples who make disciples, as men and women who stand firm upon your word in a world where that's becoming increasingly difficult. I pray, Father, your spirit move and work in our hearts, not only in this moment as we sing, but as we go out these doors and into this world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.